You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey everybody, this is Richard Deitch, and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer is Patrick Antonetti. A second podcast this week, but uh, I thought uh, it was something I absolutely had to do with the passing of John Madden on Tuesday at the age of 85. I don't even know where to start, but there's no more influential person in the history of pro football, certainly in terms of modern day. His impact was as a coach, as a broadcaster, and also obviously as a uh, as the face of the most famous sports video game that exists. He uh, connected with multiple generations, and you really just cannot underestimate his importance to American sports life and certainly American sports media life. And so I thought uh, I thought it would be good to have somebody who, uh, who worked with Madden for many, many years, was a longtime producer, a confidant, and that is why Fred Gadelli the executive producer of NBC Sunday Night Football, will be on this podcast for a special edition, a conversation on John Madden's legacy, coming up on the Sports Media Podcast. All right, as I said at the top, Fred Gadelli, if you're in the sports media business, doesn't really need an introduction. For those of you who um, are sort of more casual to this podcast, his... um, his current title is executive producer of NBC's Sunday Night Football. In September 2021, he began his 32nd season as the lead producer for an NFL primetime game and his 16th season producing Sunday Night Football. He is in a very, very small class of people who was a producer for John Madden. I don't actually know how long or how many years or how many seasons or games he'll, he'll tell us, but it's just, you know, he's one of the very small inner circle who who really worked on a day-to-day basis with John and just, I think, could really get a sense of why he connected with the audience and and what his sort of true genius was when it comes to this medium. And I'm pleased to be joined by Fred Gadelli. Fred, I know uh, this is a tough week, but but thanks for coming on because I, I think it's important to talk about just uh, John's legacy and, and his importance to so many generations. Uh, I agree. I mean, he was uh, a man for many seasons. Yeah. So here's... Um, Let's sort of start. Let's start with this week, and then we'll work our way backwards. Um, how did you find out? How did you find out that John had passed? Uh, Sandy Montag, uh, who's his agent, uh, who also represents me, who I've been friends with. I mean, for you know, longer than I've known John, um, uh, called me yesterday, and I thought he was calling me about you know a contractual thing. I got some bad news here, and when he told me, I was like floored. Um, I just wasn't expecting it. And, um, you know, obviously like everybody else in America just watched the doc and, you know, loved the doc and, you know, knew how much it meant to him. You know, I thought, you know, Virginia was fantastic. Mike and Joe, it was such a, a beautifully, you know, constructed documentary and such like the perfect, you know, tribute to John. Um, and, you know, I, I was floored and pretty, I uh, had a rough like 20, 25 minutes um, where, you know, you just go through all the emotions of, 
that you go through when you lose somebody that you really care about. The, you know, having, um, having done a pretty deep dive on the documentary, you know, there were people, Richie Zients is one of Fox sports, very, very close with John. So you mentioned Sandy Montag his longtime agent. Um, obviously the producer and directors of that, uh, of that film, Joel Santos and Tom Rinaldi, they'd all been in touch with John fairly recently. I, I even saw somewhere where Tony La Russa said that he had texted John on December 21st. You are somebody who kept, kept in fairly frequent contact with John. When's the last time you talked to him? Like, uh, was it fairly recent? Well, Christmas Day, I texted him and I said, Coach, want to wish you a Merry Christmas. Want to wish you and Virginia a happy anniversary. It was their 62nd wedding anniversary on Christmas. And uh, just want to tell you how honored I am to be in this documentary. I had gotten an advanced copy and he texted me back like 30 seconds later. Hey, Merry Christmas, Fred. Please tell everybody I said Merry Christmas. And I was like, got it. And, you know, that was our last correspondence. It's a positive correspondence to at least go out on. And I think one of the things that one of the things that I thought about immediately before thinking about his legacy was I'm really glad he got to see that documentary. And I'm really glad he got to see that. Um, that video role that Joel Santos and Tom Rinaldi put together for him, which was like 50 minutes of personalized messages from all the people who appeared in the film, obviously including you. So he did get to see that, which if nothing else, I, you know, it's a nice thing to know that he knew how important he was to some very, very important people in the world. Yeah. I mean, that was one of my first thoughts too. I mean, after, you know, I got myself back under control, I was like, wow. I'm really glad he got to see that documentary and not only for, you know, all the people that, you know, came across his professional life as a broadcaster, but, you know, when you hear your children talking about you that way, when you see your wife portrayed in such a great way and, you know, you see how they wrap around your career, like not many people get that, you know, you and I were joking about this, you know, as we were texting back and forth while the documentary was on television, not, not very many people are going to ever get that. And, um, you know, I don't know how John passed or anything like that, but, um, you know, I got to believe there was a good feeling in his heart, you know, after seeing that and just knowing what he meant to so many people. And honestly, you know, when we taped, when we taped our personal uh, thoughts about John to John, all I could think of is, how is he going to get through this, man? Because I know the day I taped, I was taping with Dick Ebersol, you know, and I know what Dick said and I know what I said. And I'm sure everybody else was really, similar. it was more, it was much more about that personal connection and, you know, what he had meant to us and, and things of that nature. And to sit through all of that, I mean, that just has to be overwhelming. But um, yeah, I agree. Uh, just, just so happy he got to see that and see it with his I think he watched it with his entire family. So it can't get better than that. I'll tell you what his son sort of talked about the relationship that they, as two sons, obviously, but you know, one of them sort of really talked about just yeah, how, how much he respected him as a father and how, how good a father he was is near the end of the film. I mean, that's some pretty powerful stuff. And they, you know, they, the filmmakers made an intentional choice. They showed Madden's face um, watching that. And you could sort of, he was actually able to show you as a viewer like what that meant to him without him saying a word about it. I mean, I don't think he cried, but you can almost see he was emotionally struck by that. Yeah, without a doubt. And, you know, I think as is the case with, you know, people as we all age, I think you do become a little bit more emotional and a little bit more 
appreciative of, of those kinds of things. And I just know, you know, I knew John uh, for just about 20 years. I worked with him for seven. And, you know, later on, you know, in the last three or four years, you know, th there was a little, he was a little more sentimental maybe than he was in, you know, the beginning of our relationship and even maybe in the middle of our relationship. All right. It's good. It's a good way. Good segue there, Fred. That's why you're a good producer. You mentioned that you knew John for 20 years. So that puts us in um, like around 91 or so. Uh, what, what do you remember about your first meeting with John Madden? When did that happen? Well, they would put us in 2001. 2001. Yeah. See, I'm not a math major, Fred. Good job. 2001. It was February of 2002. Uh, I mean, the first meeting is classic. Uh, so he gets the job at Monday night. I had just finished my first year as the producer of Monday night. And I fly out to Pleasanton to meet with him to talk about, you know, how we're going to do this. And uh, he, you know, uh, John's son, Mike, owns a hotel right in Pleasanton. It's called The Rose. It's a great hotel. I check into The Rose. John comes to get me. We go to this steakhouse down the street. And we're sitting there, and we're kind of making small talk, like we're trying to break the ice. And he gets a salt shaker and a pepper shaker. And he goes, okay, this is John Lynch. This is Dwight Smith. This is the Tampa 2 defense. Okay, now there's going to be a tight end running down the seam. Okay, and the middle linebacker, middle linebackers come up to tight end. He's getting a glass now. He's moving the glass down. Now, just tell me what you're going to show me when that play happens during the game. And uh, and I had an answer for him. I said, okay, we're going to go from this angle. I'm probably going to show it to you from this angle first, and then maybe in isolation of the middle linebacker. So we got into this conversation, and it just kind of took off from there. And we spent three days. We watched coach's tape we talked through situations like he'd see a play and he'd say okay tell me the replay sequence here like what are you thinking right here when this play happens and it was three days and at the end of the three days as we were saying goodbye I remember I said hey coach listen I'm gonna work harder than anybody you've ever had I said I'm really passionate about this I'm as passionate as you are about this I promise you it's going to be great and um, he said to me he goes yeah I could tell Fred you're really passionate man this is going to be a lot of fun and, you know, and that's kind of how, that's kind of how it all started. Mm, that's, that's phenomenal. When you, um, so when Madden meets you the first time, Fred, he's an established figure. I mean, it, you know, his, at that point, his, his sort of legend as a broadcaster is already set, you know, he continues on obviously with you guys, but by then there's really, there's really no one objectively who isn't saying he's the greatest um, NFL analyst of all time. You have a pre, you have a prominent job, but I, what I wonder is, was it intimidating at all from your end initially that you're going to have this level of talent working under you? Because honestly, I think you know this. It's one thing to sort of work with someone who in the business is respected and has a great reputation. It's another thing to work with someone who's pretty much at that time universally thought of as maybe the best person ever in this profession. You know, I don't, I don't ever remember being intimidated by it. I know when he retired, you know, I wrote him a long letter. And I said, um, you know, the, the biggest thing that I felt was I never wanted to let you down, that I saw how much work you were putting into this. And I saw how you were really coaching all of us into, you know, what you thought we had to do. And it was more inspirational than I, said, I wrote this. It was more inspirational than it was intimidating um, more than anything else, I wanted to make you proud. I wanted you to. I wanted you to think that you know we were doing everything we could to give you what you wanted, and that 
you'd be proud of our show. And like I said, I never, like, I never felt him trying to usurp my power, but I did feel him coaching me and I did, I did feel him teaching me. And I was all too happy to soak all that up because, you know, his knowledge about football unsurpassed, but his knowledge about TV, that's what I didn't really understand until I worked with him. This guy got TV on a, on a level, you know, like on a Dick Ebersol level. I mean, like, you know, he understood it. He understood how it worked, why it worked and why it didn't work when it didn't work. Let me, I'm going to, I want to read back to you something you told me in 2014. Um, when I, when I talked to you and Matt, and in fact, at Sports Illustrated, because so much of this last couple of days, Fred, you've probably gotten it far, or you, in theory, you'd be more, far more in demand than I would. But whenever I go on a radio show or some kind of forum, they want me to, they're, they're always asking why, um, what is Madden's legacy or why was Madden so impactful? So let me read something back to you. Which I, which I kept, which, which I always thought was a pretty interesting answer to this. And this is Fred Gadelli in 2014. I could fill a book on it, including his ability to communicate the intricacies of football without having to use technical jargon that less than 1% of the audience understands and putting the audience ahead of your preparation. That means having the ability to instantly change gears to report on what is actually happening versus what you came in prepared to speak about. Also, constantly being aware observant and cautious. And I remember having talked to you enough times, Fred, where you said, I think one of the geniuses of Madden is that he called the game in front of him as opposed to the game that maybe was expected to be, or maybe like, as you said, like, you know, you expect a high scoring blowout game and the game turns out, let's say to be a three, three game. John Madden is calling what's in front of him. He's not calling what was expected. And he's able to educate me as a fan on what is in front of me. So that that has to be part of his genius. What else from from your end was it? Al has the same quality. They just they just know what the audience needs. You know, they know what the audience needs and they know when they need it. And not that they're perfect. I mean, no one's perfect, right? But in those big moments, um, you know, they're not somewhere else when there's something in front of the audience that they're either quizzical about or uh, there's some wonderment about or need an explanation about. Um, they're always there. And, you know, his love for the game just, I mean, his, his love for the game and his love to make sure the game was presented accurately and, you know, you know, uh, you know, to a really, you know, to a really fine point when I mean accurately was everything to him. And if you did something, you know, if I made a decision during the game that took us away from something, which invariably I did, you know, he would hit that talk back and say, hey, can we get back to the game? You know, and uh, I got it. I mean, even to this day, if I feel like I've been on a topic too long that's away from the game, I feel him. Like, I feel him. Like, I feel his voice coming through that, you know, that talk back. Um, he just he had a saying. And at first I didn't, uh, I mean, I, I understood it from the beginning, but man, I grew to understand it a lot more as, as time went on. It was, and it's, it's the mistake every producer makes. You can't format a live event. You can plan all these things. You can have all these elements. You can do all those things. But if the game doesn't take you there, then you should not be going there. And it's the mistake, you know, we've all made at, you know, different parts of our career. Fred, one of um, one of the things about Madden that's uh, 
that that's unique to I think a very select group of broadcasters is he was accessible to the public. Like the the public felt like um, you could walk up to him and talk to him, or he felt like he wasn't larger than life, even though he was larger than life. Charles Barkley has that same thing too. Like the uh, for whatever reason, it seems like Madden and Barkley. I don't think they're faking. I think they like people, or at least they like experiences, maybe is the best way to say it. So when you were on the road with him, and I don't know if you traveled on uh, the bus with him, I imagine you, you must have at certain points, but on that element of John Madden, what what was it? Did Was it that he was just interested in people in different places? And like, wh- why was he like a guy who could, I guess, just drop out in like at a, like an Iowa farm hamburger stand and just chat up somebody about the NFL. Cause for whatever reason, millions of Americans believe that if John Madden came to your small hometown, like you could just go up to him and talk to him. Yeah. I mean, you know, John was one of the most curious people I, I've ever known and, and curious about everything and curious about you. Like, you know, he wanted to know your background. He wanted to know why you're wearing that pink shirt. He wanted to know why you don't wear socks with your shoes. He wanted to know why you put product in your hair. He just wanted to know, you know, and um, he was authentic in the same way Barkley is. You know, they are who they are. They're not trying to pretend to be anything. He didn't try to be somebody on the air that he wasn't off the air. He was John Madden 24-7 you know, like Vital, you know, there, there, there are a few of those guys out there, but he was, his curiosity knew it didn't have a ceiling. I mean, it just, it just went. And um, if you wanted to have a conversation with him uh, and he had the time, he would have the conversation and let's face it, you know, he traveled through the 48 continental, you know, States of America and he didn't drive through them. He stopped. He ate. You know, he he chatted people up. Uh, I remember one time we were driving. I think we were driving from Houston to Canton. And there was, a, a th- I don't know if we were going through Georgia or Alabama, but somebody was selling boiled peanuts on the side of the road. We stopped the bus. We got off. I'd never had boiled peanuts before. They were awesome. But, you know, he's chatting the guy up. Hey, do you have a peanut farmer? You know, the whole nine yards. You know, 20 minutes later, we're back on the bus and we're eating these boiled peanuts. So, um, you know, he just had that kind of curiosity. And, you know, I think that's what made the bus, um, you know, a, a great vehicle for him, literally and figuratively, because he got to experience people. He got to experience the country. And, um, you know, he was a man among he was a man of the people without a doubt. How, you know, at a, at, a, at a certain point, especially when the video game is sort of at its, uh, uh, I won't say it's apex because, you know, who knows? I don't know what the sales are this year, let's say versus eight years ago. But there's a certain point, Fred, where he's probably on the short list of the most famous Americans alive. You know, let's let's say there's a list of 20 Americans. He's probably on it, you know, like with the Oprah's or whoever else. D- did you get a sense of how, how much he understood his fame? I-, I think he certainly, like, probably enjoyed being John Madden, and he was a really great businessman in addition to being a smart coach and all that stuff. So he he, he certainly knew what the parts of fame was, which would be financially and recognizability. But um, maybe there's a better way for me to ask it. How do you think he saw his fame? Maybe that's the way I want to ask it. I would say he was unaffected by it. Um, you know, as unaffected as you could be for someone who is that famous, um, you know, uh, I never saw him big time anyone. 
Uh, I never saw him show somebody up. I never saw him, you know, do anything like, Hey, do you know who I am? You know, and I've seen people, I've seen people do that, you know, over the course of my life. Uh, I, I, to me, he was more unaffected by it and he was kind of more interested in everybody else. You know, I mean, he was interested in the other people in the group and, you know, John had this, he, he, he talked about this quite a bit. Um, he thought it was important that you had friends like in multiple age groups, like people that were older than you. So you could kind of glean their wisdom and their life experiences and learn from them. People that were kind of your age. So you'd have shared experiences and similar, you know, likes and, and things of that nature. And then people that were quite younger than you. So you could understand, hey, what, what, what do young people like? And what are young people talking about? And what matters to young people? And so like, to me, yeah, he knew he was famous. But it, it, it didn't, I don't know that his, look, his life financially have been a lot different, but I don't know that his, like his personal life would have been all that different because he did not act like a famous person. That's really, that's really interesting. Uh, the, the three, the multi-generation thing, I might actually steal that. That's a really good just sort of way to approach life. You know, I've talked to you, as you know, many times about production meetings. They're really sort of just interesting to me just because most of us. You know, the parts of your job, there are sort of some things which really are unique to your job and that, you know, it's, it's, and a production meeting for just those who are listening who don't know is, um, when Sunday Night Football has a game, Al Michaels, Chris Collinsworth, Michelle Tafoya, Fred Gadelli, Drew Eskoff will, um, will talk to the head coaches and players, you know, in a pre-COVID universe, they'd all be in the same conference room or hotel together or at a place. And now a lot of it, some of it's zoom, you know, I guess, instead, you know, maybe this year they've, they've had a chance to at least maybe do that in a, in a, in an in-person setting. Um, while Chris Collinsworth, obviously, and Al Michaels, Fred are obviously respected by the people in the league as you are. I would have to think it was different with John when John Madden would walk into a room with, you know, if it was a rookie NFL coach or if it was Brett Favre or Peyton Manning, or if it was a first year running back, I mean, Again, was it different when people would be talking to him just because of who he was? Because it, it would honestly be unlike any other person walking into a production meeting. Yeah, I think there was just a great trust. I think, you know, a lot of these players uh, grew up watching him or playing his video game, especially at, you know, the years that I worked with John. Um, and, um, you know, a lot of the coaches, you know, probably, you know, when they were starting out as coaching, you know, aspired to be, you know, like a John Madden. So there was always a great trust and you could tell that they looked forward to it. Uh, you know, some of the, every player would complain about his, his rating in the Madden game. That was universal. Hey coach, I I need to be a 98. I need to be a 97, man. There's no way I'm 92. Why is my speed so low? And he would just laugh. I mean, he would just laugh every time that came up and it came up quite often. Uh, back in the day, in the Monday night days, when we had the horse trailer and the player of the game, we'd put them up on the horse trailer. Guys would come in, coach, I really want to be on the horse trailer. Please put me on the horse trailer Sunday on Monday night and, you know, all those things. But, yeah, I mean, he got he got um, you know, people were really excited to speak with him. And it was funny. You know, he had a very simple style in these meetings that I've adopted where he would go through the coach, he'd go through the depth chart with the coach. Okay, is this your offensive line? Yeah, okay, so if, if a tackle gets hurt, who's the first tackle? And okay, if something happens to the center, who's going over to center? Okay, and these are your four wide receivers. Yeah, um, all right, if, there, if there's a fifth receiver, who is it? And he would just go through, and all the questions 
were like basic, but they were essential. You know, and so many times you get in these meetings and you're trying to ask this, you know, really deep probing question when what you really need to know are the basics, you know what I mean? Because you can't really do anything if you don't know the basics. I'll never forget one time we were doing a game and it was a Dallas-Washington game and Washington had a huge comeback and uh, Santana Moss somehow ended up on Aaron Glenn. And I'm like, you know, I mean, I couldn't imagine why Aaron Glenn was in the slot. And he goes, hey, are you paying attention? He told us Aaron Glenn was going to be the nickel in this game. Why are you Why are you surprised by this? And I was like, yeah, you're right. He did say that to us, you know. And, um, so, you know, he, he, he got a lot out of these meetings, but by doing it in the most, like the way he broadcasted, in the most simplest way. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. There are a couple more, and I'm going to let you go. Do, um, is there, do you have a favorite broadcast that you two worked on together? Um, you know, I'd probably point to the last one that we did Super Bowl 43, you know, the Steelers and the Cardinals, uh, you know, when John had two weeks to get ready for a game, uh, there wasn't going to be much that was going to happen, but again, you know, picked up right away that, uh, the Steelers had somewhat inverted their coverage because of Larry Fitzgerald and, uh, had put Polamalo at corner on top of Fitzgerald to be physical and put Ike Taylor the corner back in the safety position. You know, I, I do remember that. Um, but yeah, that's probably my favorite game. And I had no idea it was going to be the last game that we did. It was such a great game. And I think from a production standpoint, you know, and obviously from Alan John's standpoint, we all collectively, you know, had one of those great nights and we had a great game to broadcast. So I, I'd probably say that one. I want to ask you about something again that you told me. Uh, you, I, pre- I always appreciate you telling me this because I'm not sure anybody knew this other than me, at least in terms of who writes about this stuff. So this is 2014. You told me that when NBC gained the rights to broadcast the Thanksgiving primetime game uh, during the 2012 season. So you're, you're talking to me two years after this happens. Um, you, Drew, Al, Chris invited John Madden to an Italian restaurant in the North Beach section of San Francisco. And you were basically going there with a secret plan that, like, we're going to try to convince him to come out of retirement to call one game, uh, either on Thanksgiving night or um, we'll sort of work on some kind of plan where it's a game either near his home. But the the, the larger notion was basically, like, we want to try to convince him to come back for one more time, preferably on Thanksgiving. The whole country will love it and be incredible. And I remember you telling me that you were shot down in five seconds, basically. I later asked Madden about it, and he gave an incredible answer just about where, uh, like, he had too much respect for the game to think that he could come back after six years and be current and know, uh, and to walk sort of parachute in without the preparation that one needs to do the job. Great. I wonder if you could just take me back to that, just you and the you and the group thinking about trying to, uh, come back and then just how quickly he basically shot you guys down saying that like that's 
that's not I'm, that's that's not what I'm about. I'm I'm not coming back for a, like sort of a one night only Broadway show here. Yeah, I mean, like you said, he shot it down in about five seconds. Uh, you know, hey, I'm retired. I don't do this anymore. You guys do it every single week. Uh, I got too much respect for what you do to think that I could just drop in here and you know be part of the broadcast. He said, uh, I had my time. It's your time. And uh, thank you, but no thank you, uh, was basically how it went. Um, you know, that's how he felt about the game, too. Like when, you know, he would see guys who had been retired, like come back halfway through the season. He would just say, it doesn't work like that. You can't not practice football for six to eight weeks and then come back in a game and think you're going to be the player that you were before. It just that, that's not how football is. And it shows me you don't have the respect for the game that you really should have. So um, I probably should, we probably should have known that, you know, before we asked, but we figured we'd wind up and take a shot. At least you got a good dinner out of it too. I'm sure. Fun dinner. All right. So the last one for me is, you know, you've, um, your career speaks for itself, um, who you've worked with and, you know, I'm sure you got a 60 billion Emmys like the rest of NBC people have. And so, um, but I wonder if um, you could just sort of leave my listeners with this. Like, you've worked with obviously a lot of great people, and you work with great people now. I work with the best play-by-play play caller in the history of the NFL. I think in Al Michaels, obviously Chris Collinsworth is a Hall of Fame broadcaster, Tafoya as well. But how fortunate do you feel that that you are a rare producer who got to work with somebody who essentially is near universally thought of as the best to ever do? what they did. And to me, that would just be such a gift that like, you know what I mean? You were part of that orbit for a seriously long amount of time. And you could go through a profession, you can go through a career in any profession and never come close to working with the best person in that profession. But you actually did it every day. Yeah. I mean, blessed is a word that comes to mind because, you know, I think John just opened my eyes to a lot of things that they may not have been open to, you know, as a from a television standpoint, as well as a life standpoint, um, if we had not worked together. And like I said previously, you know, I, I just felt that I just felt inspired by his preparation and what he was expecting to be better than, you know, I thought I might be. And, you know, that's the professional end of it. And then the personal end of it, you know, it's hard to have a better friend than John Madden. I mean, he, he's always there for you, uh, always had great advice, didn't push it on you unless you were asking, um, was about the most fun guy you could ever hang out with. And, um, you know, my career and my life, you know, are multiple times better for having him in my life. And I'm going to miss him. I'm going to miss texting him and talking to him. You know, fortunately, Drew and I went out to Pleasanton. We had a game. We had a 49er game in, in um, September. We, we spent like three hours at his house and you know, had a conversation and got to visit with him. And, I, you know, you, know we, you leave and you go, man, I hope this isn't the last time I see him. Um, but obviously that, you know, you do think about that when people get to a certain age. But, you know, I just my career and my life would not have been what it is if he had not entered it. Fred Goodell is the executive producer of NBC Sunday Night Football. 
this is his uh, 32nd year as a lead producer of, of an NFL primetime game. Um, he's one of the best to ever do what he does. And Fred, it's really good of you to come on today to talk about John. I know it's a tough week for all the people who are really uh, tight with him, but I also think it's important for football fans and viewers to you know, just get a look at his sense of what he meant to the people who um, who were fortunate enough to work with him, like you, on a daily basis. So thanks so much uh, for joining me today on the Sports Media Podcast. You're welcome, Rich. Thanks. All right. Um, back in the studio my thanks to fred gadelli for coming on that was really really great and i appreciate fred coming on on what is a a really tough week for uh, those who knew john madden really close but he was really good to to offer his reflections um of a a pretty incredible life uh head to the archives if you like these kind of conversations uh prior to this one we had the uh, nexus of sports and covid with donovan bennett amal delich and bruce arthur sort of exploring that uh, unfortunately a, a major story uh, continues and, uh, and that is COVID in sports before that Ryan Clark of ESPN on uh, building his broadcasting career and then you can head to the archive page and uh, and check out some stuff if you like this kind of stuff leave us a five-star review and a note uh, it, uh, it goes far in terms of the podcast continuing I want to thank Patrick Antonetti for producing two podcasts this week good on him he uh came in to do a little bit extra work uh, so we can get Fred Gadelli and I really appreciate that and thanks to all of you uh, didn't expect to do a second podcast this week but um, but John the passing of John Madden uh, an icon an American original changed that so I uh, want to wish everybody a happy new year and uh, let's hope 2022 is, uh, gives us a better run than 2021 thanks everybody for listening to the Sports Media Podcast I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.